got one more song we're going to do just us two together. Hello, YouTube. So we, uh, there we go. Now we're getting somewhere. Good morning. You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 15. And while you're turning there, I desperately need a drink of water. <clears throat> you can go ahead and uh, bookmark Acts 6, 8 through 15. Because we're going to be going on a little journey before arriving at our text this morning. So I want to make clear that my approach to the text this morning will be unusual because I won't be breaking down the passage verse by verse as we normally would, but it's going to serve as sort of a introduction sermon in the middle of the book of Acts. We're going to be catching up on where we've been and we're going to be looking at where we are, our text this morning. We're going to briefly look down the road at what the turning point is that's taking place in Acts chapter 6, verses 18, or 8 through 15. Now, before we hop in, I want to do one of those classic preacher things and give you two Oxford definitions. So, you might think that this is a high school graduation, and the Oxford Dictionary defines congratulations as... I'm going to give you two, because I think it'll be helpful for us this morning. We're going to look at remarkable and remark. It won't be on the screen, so just listen to me. Remarkable is unusual or surprising in a way that causes people to take notice. A remark is something that you say or write which expresses an opinion, a thought, etc., about somebody or something. Now, this is going to be relevant because to be remarkable is to be different or surprising enough for people to make remarks. Pretty straightforward, right? Now, these definitions are important, and they're going to be repeated, because if God's people are remarkably full of the Spirit, what will the world do? The world will make remarks. The world will take notice. So that said, our theme this morning is going to be the fullness of Stephen was sovereignly intended. The fullness of Stephen was sovereignly intended. And to understand our theme, we have three results this morning. Jesus' ministry resulted in full apostles. The apostles' ministry resulted in a full Stephen. And Stephen's ministry resulted in full Christians even today. We have a lot of ground to cover. And I'm not going to begin this morning with reading our text as we normally would. Instead, I'm going to read Exodus 34:29. You don't have to turn there. It's really short. Exodus 34:29 says, "When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone 
because he had been talking with God. As we consider Jesus and the remarkable people that followed him, I want to be clear. If you desire remarkable fullness, then behold your God. Because if you behold your God, your face will shine also. Albeit, albeit maybe not with actual lumens. Let's pray, and we'll hop into the sermon this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you call upon us to behold you. That you call upon us to look upon your grace, your mercy, your glory. We are called to be holy as you are holy. And Father, you tell us that this happens as we behold your face as a mirror and we are slowly, we are shaped into the image of Jesus that we see. Father, convict our hearts, those of us that are gathered here this morning. Father, for those that know you, that they would desire to know you better. For those that don't know you, Father, they would desire to know you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we get to pray. Amen. The fullness of Stephen was sovereignly int intended because Jesus' ministry resulted in full apostles. I'm going to be walking us through what makes this Acts 6, or yeah, Acts 6, 8 through 15, so important in the greater story that Luke is telling Theophilus through Luke's gospel and the book of Acts. Luke is the author of both the gospel of Luke, which makes more sense, but he also wrote Acts, and he wrote these that this man, Theophilus, would know and understand the story of Jesus and the story of the church. And because this passage itself is very matter-of-fact, the reason Luke includes this account of Stephen is going to be important for us to understand. So what is the big story that Luke is writing? Luke's writings point to Jesus, full of the Spirit, performing signs and preaching the gospel. Then to the apostles in Acts, full of the Spirit, performing signs and preaching the gospel. Does that sound familiar? And then we have our text this morning where a deacon is full of the Spirit and is performing signs and wonders and preaching the gospel. We see a pattern. And then we'll briefly zoom ahead. We'll see how even a normal Christian, full of the Spirit, performs a sign and preaches the gospel to a man named Saul. Now, even though my first point is Jesus' ministry resulted in full apostles, I'm going to give you guys a freebie this morning, so don't tell me that I've never done anything for you. In my manuscript, I decided that the first point serves mostly as introduction and context, and so instead of preaching my first point, I'm going to summarize my first point for you. We're going to keep on moving. The handouts that you have are actually going to track with both my points and the text that I am alluding to. I'm not going to read out loud. That's why you have it in your uh, seats. If you need more, if you don't have one, then you can either grab one from a row behind you um, or I can make sure you have one on our way out. But that sheet was also to keep me talking less. 
okay? So you have the references that went into me writing my manuscript. Look at them as you go. I am giving you homework, but it's so I don't preach a two-hour sermon. So we'll be looking first at Luke 1, 13 through 17, and Luke 3.16. John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jesus, saying, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And what does that sound like? Well, in Acts 2, 1 through 4, we finally see the fulfillment of John the Baptist's message at Pentecost. The Spirit descends and tongues of fire are above the disciples' heads. It is fascinating to note that the Spirit descended upon Jesus bodily as a dove at his baptism. And it is the baptism of Jesus that is credited to his people. And we see the fulfillment of this foreshadowing with the Spirit descending on the disciples, on the apostles as well. Jesus' ministry resulted in full apostles because the apostles needed to be full of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus was. And just as the Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism, so the Spirit fell on Pentecost in a unique one-time event where the Spirit began to live inside God's people in a way that was never done before. Pentecost was unique. Pentecost happened once, but we are forever changed because of what took place at Pentecost. No longer do we need to pray like David did in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me, The Spirit is given to us, the church, now as a down payment for our inheritance that is to come. He is a guarantee that we will be brought to completion. Praise God for Pentecost. The Spirit descending at Pentecost is the apostles officially taking the torch of Jesus' ministry. We see them reviled. We see them jailed. We see them let out miraculously and then re-jailed. <laughs> we see them preaching the gospel just as their Savior Jesus had done before them. You remember that time that Peter denied Jesus before a little girl? Rose essentially walks up to Peter and says, Do you know Jesus? No. Get out of here. He runs away. And now, before multitudes of Jews, many of which would have likely been the enemies of Jesus that crucified him, he preaches the gospel boldly. There was a secret sauce that was missing, and the Holy Spirit filling Peter was that sauce. So, What is the journey? That was point one. See, look how fast I was. What was the journey then from the apostles to Stephen? The fullness of Stephen was sovereignly intended because the apostles' ministry resulted in a full Stephen. Here, 
We're going to recap what we've covered in Acts to bring us to our text this morning, okay? We pick up at the end of Luke to the beginning of Acts at the account of Pentecost. This section is where we'll actually be able to look at some of our texts this morning, and so we're going to recap as we go. Looking at Acts 2.4 and Acts 2.17 through 18, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Peter then preaches saying that God's declaration of pouring out his Spirit, citing Joel, on all flesh has been fulfilled. This is intentionally familiar language. Luke wrote this exact quote, quoting Jesus, and cited Peter as well, saying, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The torch from Jesus to the apostles is officially passed. Looking at Acts 4, 8, 13, and 4, 29 through 31, then we see Peter and John, full of the Spirit, boldly preaching. And the people remarked that they had been with Jesus. But the apostles led a prayer with God's people to continue the ministry of preaching Jesus boldly. Amen. Let it be said of me in my preaching or in my speech to an unbeliever, that guy has been with Jesus. The boldness came not because Peter's a loser. We just discussed that, right? It's not the man, it is the God who fills the man. The apostles are being referenced just like Jesus was referenced in the Gospels, full of the Spirit and astonishing those in their presence. If God's people are remarkably full, then what will happen? The world will make remarks. With great grace and power that came directly from the testimony of Jesus' resurrection, many signs and wonders were regularly done by the people by the hands of the apostles. So now, signs and wonders, they were done by Jesus. Signs and wonders are done by the apostles. The apostles were remarkable because they were different and surprising enough for people to make these remarks. There were other people preaching on corners. What made these apostles unique? They were full of the Spirit. We are coming to the end of this part of God's story. The signs and wonders that were done by Jesus are not now being done by the apostles. And let's refresh our thought process, okay? Let's slow down. I'm getting excited. To be remarkable is to be different or surprising enough for people to make remarks. Got it. So, if God's people are remarkable... Remarkably full of the Spirit, the world will make remarks. Got it? And we can be full of the Spirit if we behold our God. We follow in the footsteps of Moses. We speak with him. And let our face shine to a lost and dying world. Because if you behold your God, your face will shine. People will know. You may not literally light up a dark room, 
but you'll light up dark relationships you have in your life. You'll light up dark and dying souls that you know. If you behold your God, your face will shine. So is this the end of God's plan for his people? The apostles are really cool guys with superpowers, and then that's it. We're just here remembering them 2,000 years later because they were really cool dudes. Well, of course not. Did God intend to only fill the apostles with the Spirit? Well, of course not. The apostles took the torch from Jesus, but the apostles began to pass that torch forward in our text last week. The ministry of Jesus led to full apostles, and the full apostles led to a full Stephen, and the ministry of a full Stephen leads to a full Christian. Our third point, doing so good. We're rolling. The fullness of Stephen was sovereignly intended because Stephen's ministry resulted in full Christians. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. It was never just the apostles that were full of the Spirit. Never. But the apostles and their ministry of birthing God's church were the direct continuation of Jesus' earthly ministry. But now, get this, we're going to actually look at the text assigned to me to preach this morning. Okay? So Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, I'm going to read all the way through in verse 8. And Stephen, I'll just say he, and he, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and some of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and some from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. We have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. In verse 15, gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Cedarview, Acts 6-8 is an important verse. Acts 6-8 is the first time that someone other than Jesus and the apostles is cited to do signs and wonders. Stephen is a turning point in the ministry of the Spirit 
through the apostles for the church. But I would like to point out, after all that we have seen in Luke's gospel and that you see before you in that handout, does our text this morning sound like it was written about Stephen or about Jesus? Consider Luke 4, 18 through 22, and Luke 6, 10 through 11 again from your handouts. The hearers of Jesus' words were filled with wrath. What did the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees do when Jesus preached the kingdom of God? They plotted against him. They brought accusation before him. And though he was innocent, Jesus was put to death because they plotted, they hated the words that Jesus spoke. Last week, we heard Matt say that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. This week, we see that Stephen is full of grace and power and that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen is now stepping into the role of performing signs and preaching Jesus to the point that people are plotting to kill him. Amen to following in the footsteps of Christ, right? <laughs> I think uh, Stephen heard Jesus say, take up your cross and follow me, and maybe, maybe he was listening a little too well. We know, we know, we don't know technically, but we know that Stephen was preaching the good news, that Jesus paid the price of all the sins of his people, because these plotters twist those words to say this instead in verse 14, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. I would bet all the money I don't have that Stephen was just going around preaching that the sacrifice has been made. That our sins are covered, Israel. The Lamb has come and the Lamb is slain. You don't have to go to the temple and continue making sacrifices that were already paid for. And these plotters twist those words, trying to imply that Stephen is an enemy of Moses. And in God's providence, in God's humor, really, we see Stephen's face shine as one who has talked with God. Let's slow down. We'll catch our breath. Who is this Stephen that he should be compared to Jesus himself and his apostles? This is a pretty high bar. Stephen was not an apostle. He was a great guy. He wasn't an apostle. He was an average Joe with, to be fair, above average fullness. He was just a man born again who was full of faith and the spirit. What made him remarkable was not his own talents, his own attributes. What made Stephen remarkable was the remarkable God that dwelled in him. 
Because if God's people are remarkably full of the Spirit, then the world will make remarks. And those remarks are not usually uh, good for God's people. Am I supposed to compare myself to Stephen, though? Is that the point of our text this morning? In prepping this sermon, I wrestled with how exactly Stephen relates to and applies to our church here at Cedarview today. Uh, Do I apply Stephen as if he's just another church member? Well, that doesn't seem right. Uh, He was literally elected from the congregation because of his remarkable fullness, right? He was a remarkable man, and so he was elected to serve. But I can't apply Stephen like he's some unattainable status, or, or some unattainable leadership. Because he was not an apostle or a pastor. He didn't have a calling upon his life. He was simply a faithful man. He was simply a faithful man that the congregation said, hey, that guy's full of the Spirit, and we want him to serve these tables. So that made me consider the office and role of deacons. Hey, we get some more ecclesiology this week. Woo-hoo! Last week, Matt already showed us how and why we are a pastors-led, deacon-served, congregationally-approved congregation, a church. This is the basic structure of what we believe the church ought to be here at Cedarview. So I don't want to get into those nuts and bolts. The first and interesting note that I do want to address, though, is that the deacon's qualifications don't actually make note of any talent. They must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, sound in faith and life, blameless, a godly wife, husband of one wife, and manages children and household well. These are all the qualifications for a deacon found in 1 Timothy 3. Not one of those requires a skill set. Every one of those is simply the fruit of sanctification by the Spirit in your life. The deacon is simply a Christian with maturity in the Christian life. So we don't elect a deacon because they're the most handy, they're the most available, or even because they have business experience. We elect believers with maturity. We elect elect believers that we clearly see the Spirit's work within them. We elect believers that are remarkably full of the Spirit, just like Stephen. But now, let me speak of our deacons, so we can point to all deacons. Not everyone's in here, but consider the paths of Adam, Raul, Freddie, and soon-to-be Stan as I ask some questions. When did they begin caring for the church? When did they begin serving the church? When did they begin to fulfill the qualifications? When do they begin being a blessing and a resource to you personally at Cedarview? When did you see the Spirit working in their lives? So Cedarview, wake up from your nap and hear me when I say, these are not full of the Spirit because they are now deacons. These are deacons because they were already full of the Spirit. These are not deacons 
because these are not now serving and caring for the church and fulfilling the qualifications and being a blessing to you because they are now deacons. They were already doing it. That's why we said, oh, hey, yeah, let's elect these guys. In Acts 6, 15, the last verse of our section, gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of an angel. Cedarview, Stephen's face shined. His face didn't shine because he didn't use his moisturizer. He didn't wash his face last night. His face was glowing. And this was a direct reference to Moses as he descended from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And this Stephen was preaching a message that God is communicating, that Luke is alluding to being on par with the Ten Commandments. This man who you say is an enemy of Moses, this man is your Moses. (laughs) Listen to his message. I think I've made excuses for why I'm not like Jesus. I'm sure you have too. I think I've made excuses for why I'm not like the apostles. Maybe that's just me or Matt. Maybe pastors do that. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of the apostles, so. What excuses do I have for not being like Stephen? Well, I'm firmly convinced that there's nothing unique about Stephen that made him so remarkable. I'm also firmly convinced that Stephen had a relationship with our God that is clearly more intimate than mine. Stephen was clearly beholding the splendor of our God rather than the darkness of this world. And it is clear that Stephen is much more faithful to have this mind among himself, which is his in Christ Jesus. As I shared in the introduction, Moses did not know that the skin on his face literally had luminance because he had been talking with God. And I assume that Stephen was the same way. Stephen was simply a man so doggedly committed to beholding his Savior that his face shined. And it is not just Moses that Stephen is being compared to, but the transfigured Jesus who Moses joins on that mountain. Jesus robes his face. He is changed in a moment, and he is dazzling white. Praise God that this not apostle, this disciple, this Christian, simply beheld his Savior in such a way that he got to follow in the footsteps of Moses, a friend of God. So, we don't need another feel-good sermon on how to live your best life, okay? Church, we need to look at Jesus and cast away every sin and weight that clings so closely. We need to look at him, we need to look at Jesus until everything else grows strangely dim, We need to look at Jesus until our anxieties and our strivings cease. We need to stop 
trying to do better, to be better, and we need to fall at the foot of the cross and praise God that he does the work of making our face shine. He does the work of making us like Jesus. Because what happens when we behold our Savior? Our minds and our hearts are transformed, church. What happens when our hearts and our minds are transformed into the mind of Christ? Well, it's the funniest thing. You begin to look like Jesus, just as Stephen did in our text this morning. Deacons, let it be true that your pastors direct your eyes upon Jesus. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for giving us faithful Christians that we can look to and remark upon your fullness of the Spirit. Adam, Raul, Freddie, and I'll, I'll include you, Stan. You are men who behold your Savior, and so you were elected to be deacons. And church, let it be true that we encourage you, pastors and deacons, with the good news that Jesus lived the life that we cannot, that he took the punishment for sin that we deserved, that he died, he was raised on the third day, that we too can conquer death in our life with him. Praise God for the gospel. Church, let it be, say, let it be said of us also that our faces shine at cedar view as those that behold God Almighty. And those folks over at Cedar View got some shiny faces. Wear your sunglasses to church this week if you're going to Cedar View because their faces are shining out there. And speaking to you again, Adam, Raul, Freddie, and Stan, I want you to clearly see from our text this morning the effect that you can have as deacons on God's people here at Cedar View. Because even though I'm persuaded that it's a bit dishonest to say that Stephen is just like one of us, I do think that it's honest to say that we can be just like Stephen, that the same Spirit fills us as filled him, that we can behold that same Savior, and that we can hold firm in the same opposition. Our conclusion, if God's people are remarkably full, the world will make remarks. Before we conclude, though, let me give you some notes to look forward to through chapter 9, okay? This is a, a hinge point, a hinge text in the book of Acts, so I'm going to give you some bullet points. The people were enraged, and they plotted to kill Stephen. They caught him in our text this morning. They're going to kill him in the next couple weeks. They plotted to kill him, and Luke clearly compares the death of Jesus to the death of Stephen. Read ahead. It's fascinating. The notes that are given about Stephen and how they overlap with the death of Jesus on the cross. 
Saul saw this killing, this murder, and he approved of it. And then the blood of Stephen scatters God's people across Judea and Samaria. We've got to get out of here. They're killing folks over in Jerusalem. And so they scatter. And the gospel goes forth to Judea and Samaria. And then a nobody, and a slightly cowardly Ananias, different one than the one that I preached about that, you know, got smote. He preaches the gospel to Saul, who repents and believes, and Saul changes his name to Paul, and he writes half the New Testament. But take note that it's little old Ananias, who never gets mentioned again until Paul gives an account of his testimony in Acts 22. A nobody preaches the gospel to Saul, who would become the 13th apostle. If God's people are remarkably full, the world will make remarks. And I've said this over and over, and we'll recap. Jesus does miracles, and he tells people to repent, okay? People make remarks about how different he is, and they try to kill him. The ministry of Jesus led to the full apostles. The apostles do miracles, and they tell people to repent. People make remarks about how different they are, and then they try to kill him. The ministry of the full apostles leads to a full Stephen. Stephen does miracles and tells people to repent. And then people say, oh, this is a different cat. And then they try to kill him. Well, they've succeeded in killing him. The ministry of a full Stephen leads to full Christians. Ananias makes or will make. Scales drop from Saul's eyes. A miracle. And he tells Saul to repent. Saul made remarks about how different Ananias was in Acts 22. Even though Saul himself plotted to kill Ananias and his brethren. Church, if when we follow Jesus, the world will make remarks. When we follow the apostles' teaching, the world will make remarks. When we follow Stephen's example, the world will make remarks. And when we are full of the Spirit like Jesus, the apostles, and Stephen, the world will make remarks. Don't make excuses, though, for why you're not like Stephen. Because if you behold the same God who he follows, you too will have your face shine before men. What made Stephen remarkable was the remarkable God inside him. What made the apostles remarkable was the remarkable God inside them. And you, yes, you, Christian, sitting here in this room, can be remarkable to the lost world. Because even if you're a bunch of losers, like me, the chief loser... There's a remarkable God that dwells in you if you have repented and believed the gospel. So as we close, I'm going to give you some tangible things to walk away with, maybe give you some conversation for shepherding group tonight and Tuesday. In what ways can you behold your God more deeply? There's a few ways that we do that at Cedarview. What about in Sunday worship? 
By God's grace, there's nothing that holds us back from worship but ourselves here in America. Now, there's providential hindrances, medical needs and otherwise, but there is no authority that does not allow us to worship and praise God for that, because that was not true here. Stephen got killed because he was preaching the gospel. The Sunday worship gathering of the saints is what these Acts Christians and apostles fought and died for. And we're quick to uh, give it up. With no gathering, there is no tangible reason to call a community of people a church. Will you participate in the local church that God has designed for your good and his glory, here or elsewhere? God is with us always, but in a real sense, he is not with us fully right now. Only at the Sunday worship gathering do we see heaven and earth unite as God's people gather to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We gather on Sundays because we want to behold our God from up close. We want front row seats to see the God who we serve. And just as no one here prefers a long-distance relationship with your loved one, just as no one here would sign up to never see their spouse again face-to-face, but to only call them on the phone, This is where we get to meet as God's people with God in a unique way. If you love this God that you claim to serve, do you love him enough to see him when he comes to visit? Will we be like Adam and Eve and hide in the garden? when he comes to be with you. What about in shepherding group? There's no law requiring you to visit your parents on holidays. Sorry, Mom. But we all understand that missing out on family events will result in a much less rich relationship with our family. Simple as that. Likewise, there's no a command for, from the Bible to attend shepherding groups, Okay? But we have these meals and these fellowships together because we desire authentic, deep relationships with our church members. We want to go to that family barbecue because I love my family and I want to spend time with them. In D groups, James 15, 5, 16 commands us to confess our sins to one another and Galatians 6, 2 commands us to bear one another's burdens. Now, you don't have to be in a D group to obey those commands, D groups are just a way that you can confess your sins to one or two, and uh, maybe not to everyone here on Sunday morning. <laughs> We're not going to, uh, the confession of sin time, I don't think will ever become a ad lib, show up, take the mic and start dropping all the sins that you did that week. We probably won't do that here at Cedarview. But D groups give you an opportunity to build a relationship, a trusted relationship with one or two that you can, man, you can get deep. You can truly confess your failures throughout the week. And they, you can be prayed for, you can be encouraged, you can be directed to the gospel. And then finally, through discipleship essentials that Matt promoted last week, we just 
want to produce a tool for you to encourage you in your prayers and your Bible reading. We do not read our Bibles and pray simply because we're required by the law to do so. We behold our God by reading our Bibles and praying in the same way that we continue speaking to and continue dating our spouses. I don't know about you, there's no law requiring me to speak to Stephanie, but boy, woo! just because there's no law doesn't mean there's not consequences for me giving her the cold shoulder. It's not rocket science, guys. We listen to God in our reading, and we speak to God in our prayer because we love him and we have a relationship with him. I don't have to remind myself to talk to Stephanie today. I love her. And so we speak to one another, and I listen to her. If we are not reading the Bible, if we're not praying, if we're not gathering on Sundays to meet with our God, then maybe, maybe consider whether you have a relationship with him at all. But praise God, for those who behold their God, the world will make remarks, because the God in us is remarkable. And if you do not know him, if you don't desire to speak with him, to listen to him, to visit with him, repent and believe the gospel that you've heard this morning. Your sins may be covered before a holy God because God himself took the punishment for your sins. Repent and believe. I'll be down in the front. If you desire to respond, let's pray. Father, thank you.